Welcome to From Here to There, a podcast about exploring what it takes to face personal and professional transformation from the inside out. Each week we'll be talking to real people creating real changes in their lives and focus in on the decision to create that change, how they went about it, including any obstacles they may have faced. Then we'll cap it off with some really inspiring and truly impactful results you need to hear about. We're about to get real with the human problems we all face and some pretty unique ways these people have tackled them. Tune in weekly and let's get to those great stories on how we do life and move from here to there. Now, here's your host, Jesse Galvin-Reed, executive coach with H2H Coaching and all about creating that authentic human-to-human connection. Let's go. Hi, and welcome to another episode of From Here to There, where we talk about what it takes to face personal and professional transformation from the inside out. Today, I'm getting to spend some time with uh, my new friend, Simon. Hi, Simon. How you doing? Great. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> so a little bit about Simon. Simon is the a founding member. He's one of the founding members of the Verity Foundation. And Simon is committed to creating a movement of healthy masculine leadership in a space for all men of all ages to connect with themselves and their community. This was inspired by his grandfather's passing. Simon has dedicated much of his time researching the social and personal need for masculine energy and integral wisdom sharing. Simon also hosts an online empowerment group focused on supporting men through anxiety, stress, depression, and into strength, confidence, and leadership. Simon is passionate about creating an intergenerational community of men that share wisdom, stories, respect, and the intention of helping all humanity evolve into an era of equal equality, health, and happiness. Welcome, Simon. Sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry for serving you up with such a full load of... Um, that was That's a great start. That's a great start. And that's a lot of big, great words with some strong meanings behind them. So thank you for coming on the show today and, and getting, I guess, to talk about some of the things that are near and dear to you. I know that we just had some interesting dialogue just quickly before we, we hit record but first, I really want to find out this crazy and true fact about you that talks about uh, you took your dog and cat around the world with you. Oh. What? How do you decide yeah. to do that? <laughs> it was, uh, there was a lot of uh, interesting moments that led to the decision to travel with my dog. But I actually, um, I had quit drinking. This is way back, maybe 10 years ago. It quit drinking uh, and decided that to sell all my tools. I was a contractor at the time, selling my tools. Uh, we did an open house, sold all the furniture at the house and bought tickets to Greece. And uh, my partner at the time had been there often, like uh, many times before. And she mm-hmm. inspired me to go and travel there. So we had a dog and I'm like, well, we got to bring the dog because we have no return ticket. Who knows where this journey will end up? And she's like my best friend, right? So sweet. Took this huge dog, 90 pound um, mutt to Greece and she survived the trip and was super happy to be on the beach with us. And then two days after we got there, we're walking up this road and this little like 
sick cat with this huge kind of um, lung infection or like throat infection was sounded like a frog was in this garbage pile. And it like just found me started like crying towards me. And, and I I put it back and I'm like, maybe your mom's going to come. I'm going to give you like two hours. I'm going to come back down. If you're still alone, I'll take care of you. Okay. So, So we went and looked at this place. I'm walking down this road. And all of a sudden this cat comes across the road in traffic, stops traffic to come to me. And I'm like, all right, buddy, you're, I'm going to take care of you. So I, I took care of him. I had to like go to the vet and you had to get surgery. And um, he still sounds like a frog when he meows. Oh, you still have. Still okay. So okay. We that's to help. He was like this amazing little dude. And uh, we were in Greece for six months or so. And then I decided to go to Mexico from there. Now I had the cat and the dog. So we went to Mexico and he lived in Tulum, Mexico with me and the dog on the beach for a while and rode in the bike and then wild adventures. Yeah. Taking taking, I've done a little traveling with my animals as well, cats and dogs. It's not even, it's not even that hard to get them across the border, to be honest. And, and it was a lot easier than any human that I had to bring across sometimes. So <laughs> kudos to you for going through that and, and uh, finding a life that you can integrate both passions. That's so sweet. And you still have the, the kitty cat. Okay. What's the, yeah. what's the cat's name? His name is Zephyri, which is Greek for uh, sapphire. He's a like, uh, orange guy with blue eyes. Oh, that's really sweet. I actually rescued a orange cat with blue eyes on the streets of Mexico. Still what? have a tiger. Yeah, I know. No, nope. true story. And that was thirteen years ago. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> small, small world. But yes, I, I lived in Mexico for about three years and I like to rescue animals off the street, but that's a whole other topic too. <laughs> the connection point. Yeah, it's a good one. So when we were talking about different things that you're up to, um, maybe we want to expand a little bit about um, the Verity Foundation and what this nonprofit has to offer in terms of, of what you do. And then we'll talk about maybe about how you got there too. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of big words attached to the intro of the Verity Foundation, everything, what we're doing. But really what we're doing is creating a movement of healthy masculine leaders. So mm-hmm. we are, um, like I said, I was inspired by my grandpa and, and uh, this opportunity I had to sit with him on his deathbed. And I got to ask him these all these questions like, what, uh, what, are his greatest regrets and what advice he had for me as a man about to step into leading a family. And, um, you know, what were the biggest lessons he learned in life? And what he told me was like, it was gold and it just really stuck with me. And that situation, that experience made me think of like how many men are missing out on that opportunity, people in general, but men missing out on that opportunity to, get the, the wisdom from their parents, their fathers or forefathers and grandparents. And, and it meant so much to me. And then also how many men in my grandfather's position, Pa was his name, didn't get the opportunity to share their lessons and share their wisdom, you know, after living, he was 94 when he passed. So there's a lot, wow. of, lot of lessons and a lot of life that he lived through that could probably benefit me and benefit a lot of men if they were shared. So it's like, wow, there's a huge void in our community, one in rites of passage of 
a men passing on wisdom to the youth and and really preparing um, boys for manhood. And then there's mm-hmm. also a huge void of like, yeah, that storytelling, the sharing of the wisdom, the life lived experiences. So that inspired me to um, create the Verity Foundation. And prior to that, I, I was doing a lot of men's work myself and getting involved in um, groups of men, one called the Man Cave and the CMB um, and the Rising Man Movement, which is just, yeah, men doing really good work, holding space for other men to connect and share and learn. So that's what fostered and and really created the Verity Foundation. And then we've been um, moving in that direction ever since, which is really around leadership. Oh, that's wonderful. So inside of your, how many, how many members in your society right now? So it's, uh, we've got a team of about four, four or five, like in-house that are, there's me and another co-founder. And then we have some members that work on work um, on the project. And then we have a varying size of groups, depending on what projects are running. So right now we're launching our men's leadership program called the edge. Um, okay. It's uh, the second round. So it's the edge 2.0 starting in um, late September. And um, yeah, we have, and then we have the timeless talks podcast, which we run as well. Uh, which mm, is good. Intergenerational storytelling. And we'll have all these links all, all put into the podcast details too. But um, these are like all so, so great to have the community. So what, who is this really pointed to? So who would, who would you roll these, this out to? Let's talk about a little I, bit about that. Our leadership program, The Edge, I would roll out to any man that's wanting to elevate his life to become uh, more balanced in, in areas of his life. Like there's a lot of men, especially in the entre- entrepreneurial world that get so focused on their career and they compromise their relationship or their health. And mm-hmm. And we see this across the board in in our male leadership is we value men for being, you know, rich and powerful, even if they aren't healthy and even if they don't have healthy relationships or if they've stumbled and and created, you know, um, negative experiences for other people in their lives. We still value them because they've succeeded in their career. And to me, to be a powerful man, you need to be balanced in all areas and effective Mm. and effective in all areas. So. I would say this is for men that are looking to round out their lives and have, you know, adventure, have healthy relationships, have community, you know, um, also wealth and finances and purpose. Right. So building, building on more and more and more. So what is, I guess, your, your definition of, of healthy masculine leadership? I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So definition of healthy masculine leadership, I think would be a well-balanced, um, being well health, have a healthy balance in all areas of your life and, and constantly being committed to growth. So like to me, uh, a healthy leader, healthy leadership is embodiment, embodying your values, embodying, um, your principles and what you care about in life and being able to wear that so that you can empower other people to also, embody what they care about and who they want to be. So I think, yeah, healthy masculine leadership is about embodiment, being like a man of integrity, a man of honesty, a man of um, curiosity, adventure, you know, transparency. Mm. Yeah. Embodiment. 
biggest thing that comes to mind. <clears throat> no, definitely. And when we see unhealthy and the imbalance, we see the the physical and the emotional side effects that take a toll and that leads to less of a contribution, right? Yeah. And that kind of ties in nicely to I think the direction of of like that purpose and that that purpose versus mission we were touching upon before. And I think that um men without a purpose in my experience are men that quickly die. They die off. Very true. And and it's very hard to lead from a place of with uh not being clear on your purpose or your direction in life. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Because and think- if things have changed or or oh little skip there. Twelve. Oh, oh there we back go. Now. <laughs> So yeah, what we're talking about purpose and and versus mission, I think we should probably just back up there and and talk about the beginning stages that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So purpose to me and what we were talking about a little earlier, the more and more that I've gone down this journey of discovering purpose and having this conversation in men's groups around how important it is to have purpose, very rarely do I get like a solid definition of this is what a purpose is and this is how you find it, you know, because there's eight out of 10 or nine out of 10 guys in a room are searching for their purpose or wanting to have purpose in their lives, but they don't know what that necessarily looks like. Why do you think people like, where do you think people start off with this notion? Is it sort of, I guess, an echo of, of what is out there and what people read or, or is there some sort of, I guess, conversation that is had amongst friends and, and this, this mention of purpose comes in and then it's kind of, I guess, a a self-exploratory journey on, on finding out what that actually means. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, I mean, at least for me, it has been something that's been popping up um, for quite a while. It Purpose to me meant, for the longest time, meant like doing something that I was important to me, doing something that I cared about that was good for humanity or the planet, something beyond just serving myself. Mm-hmm. And that always resonated. It was like, yeah, you know, I, I want to do good. I want to contribute. I want to leave, you know, a legacy or leave some sort of impact on the world. Um, but I got caught up in this. Well, what am I, I I'm, I'm waiting for this clear message to come through this purpose, you know, to hit me in the side of the head and then, and then I'll know. And then once I know I'll put all my energy and commitment into it. Right. So you're like a, a really pretty pony waiting behind that gate, just ready to go as soon as you get the, the card to go. Right. Right? Someone, <laughs> someone give me permission to do what I want to do, you know? Right. And that it's a, it's a plague. I mean, it plagued me for years, just being ready. I was so ready to be ready, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I, I wanted that actually it wasn't until I got a coach that he guided me to my own permission you know, and I was asking him, man, just tell me, just tell me what to do. I even asked uh, this old teacher I had, Roman, like, man, what should I do? Like, give me direction because I got energy. And he was like, there's no way I'm going to give you your direction. That's for you to find out. 
(laughs) Yeah. I mean, did anybody actually present the notion that it's something that you get to decide? I think that, yeah, I think that it was never, it it wasn't presented as my, as a, a choice that's just available until the last five years of my life. It, until then, it was something that it's going to come out of nowhere and, and I need to like wait for it. And I think that exactly you nailed it. As soon as I realized it's a choice that I get, then that's when the real pressure came on because it was like, well, I, if this is my purpose in life, I don't want to choose wrong because if right. I spend years of my life chasing a purpose that doesn't resonate, like what if is I don't choose the right purpose? Yeah. Like analysis paralysis. I know. I, yeah. I, I, would, I think I was there too. And, and it sort of parallels, I think that knowing of like that one, that, that love match that you're going to find is it, it's just going to be that all encompassing feeling that you're supposed to know. And when you lock eyes with it, or, you know, like you, you see that one person, you, you know, <sighs> again, I think it's just a decision. There's a, there's a bunch of chemical reactions and there's a bunch of feelings that happen. Um, but I <laughs> think at the end of the day, all of these are, are just educated choices. Yeah. And that being curious and willing to make the decision and, and find out because for me playing the one foot in one foot out was the safety of like, no, maybe uh, I'll try it out, but I'll always have this, you know, this card to play that gets me out of it. And as soon as I started going all in with things, that's when I would actually receive a message or receive, you know, a, more energy and clarity towards it. But when I was on the fence being like, well, I'm not going to make the decision until the clarity comes, the clarity doesn't come, you know? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, doing, doing coaching for this many years and, and how many iterations have I come, it's like you, you sort of dip in a little bit and you dip out and you kind of sort of taste a little bit of the water and sort of see, and what, what do I have to contribute towards this? And finally, after just like all in commitment and going for it, it's just like doors open up, people start to pop up. You came into my life, right? There's like introductions here and there. It's like, I think there's a confirmation in just being able to be as open as you can be with the journey and not being attached to the outcome because it's the process. Right. Which is exactly the point on purpose that I want to make is that if we can stop searching for an external purpose or like some clear um, title of a mission that we're going to go after and become the purpose, become our own purpose in life, mm-hmm. then it's just a constant, continuous, like unraveling and, um, and like expanding experience of who we are as an individual. Like for me, just recently, this has been just over a year and a half that I've been like, whoa, I am my purpose. If I choose, if I believe that I am my purpose, then like how, I wonder how much more love I can be in. I wonder how much more strength I can find within me. I wonder if I could persevere through this. Like it's, it's this constant, wow, keep seeing how, how big my capacity is for this world and for the missions that I choose. And that's where I think that we convolute purpose and mission because a mission is climb that mountain 
And when, mm-hmm. and if I, if I believe that that's my purpose, climb that mountain, when I get to the top, I'm just as lost and confused as I was before I decided to climb that mountain. So then it's, well, it's, it's done. It's ended. Over. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, I am my, I am the mountain, you know, I get to climb and find and, and traverse this terrain of life through my decisions, like you were saying before and through my commitments and really just explore what it's like to show up in different ways and through different circumstances and, and see how and who I can become. Mm, That unraveling has been the best, best experience of my life. Uh, yeah, no, I think that not having it attached to the what, but attached to the who gives it a lot bigger distinction because I remember growing up with the notion that men provide, they get into like a career and they provide, uh, for the family and such. And then when such career is over, there's like, a. I witnessed it with a couple of like family members too. There's like a withering. There's a, a less of engagement. There's um, just sort of seems to sort of be a lessening of their personality. In fact, it's, it's like a dulling and some who had really uh, big careers with like high risk and high, high purpose and a, like a, a police officer. That's ones I've seen pass away shortly right after retirement. It's, wow. it's incredible to see that um, people in, in that position and that much investment in their careers, you know, that's where they end after that. The vitality goes. Yeah. And the identity it's, it's, is so attached to mm-hmm. their, how their value it, or the value they've put on their mission or how yeah, they're the doing phase, right? Not exactly, the being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And so having those short little quick missions and having that distinction between purpose and mission to be able to create that interest. I mean, yeah, our purpose also changes. I think it, we, it grows, it develops, it evolves. It's not a static thing. You don't just get to choose one and that's it. Mm-hmm. You, you got your one card filled. <laughs> yeah. You, right? Constant pivoting and and re-exploring what it, what that means to you and also what you want. And I think that that's the, I guess the shift or the reframe for me has been like, oh, it's choice after choice after choice. It's the power of choice really helps me develop my purpose and develop myself because it's just, it's constant. How am I going to choose to show up in this conversation? How am I going to choose to show up at work? How am I going to choose to show up on the run that I go for after work? Like it's, Choice after choice, everything in our lives is choice. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, the choice to to, I mean, going into entrepreneurship, and I think that's like the bulk of the area of the people that I speak with too, and and creating that distinction that it's not just the mission that you're preparing for; it's it's your purpose to give, it's your capacity, it's the leadership capacities that you build around the human side, the product side, and the the outcomes that you want to create. And the being component has got to be so tightly tied into that because it helps drive the direction. Yeah. If you are your purpose, you get to all just decide what you get out of this as well. So there generates that internal feedback loop. So you're not just running on optimism the entire time. It's actually motivated internally (laughs) and not just like by a dollar amount that you're edging out at the, at the very end there too. So, 
And what have you seen the differences in some of the people that you've encountered when you've been able to unlock this uh, key piece of information? What's the the different maker out there for other people? Hmm. I, I would say action, aligned action towards, because when, I, when we do this work, especially in the EDGE program, we go through um, letting go of habits or vices, and then we'll we'll spend a lot of time on creating personal values and mission statements and, and, and then getting a clear vision. And the biggest difference I found in this was that a lot of guys originally have a vision about like the money they want to make or, you know, what they want to do, the do phase. And it, mm-hmm. after a while in this program, it becomes a lot more about embodiment. And I'd say the biggest effects that I've seen is just guys like, glowing and thriving in the relationship, showing up in, in a way that they were only, they were saying they wanted to, they were waiting for permission for. So there's this sort of, I, I want to say uh, just because a, a friend of mine that runs this program called um, Unleash the Beast, but it's kind of like that. It's like unleash right. that, that part of you that's just the killer, whether it's the killer for, you know, what you want in business or in your relationship or again in health, like there's this, sense of oh i get to choose well i'm going to choose and then they go for it so the biggest thing would be action and, and embodiment like mm, that's no more, super powerful no yeah separation from like the someday phase of someday i'll i'll go there someday i'll have that someday i'll be healthy and and taking that responsibility on well, yeah, the responsibility I think you speak of is is like the personal accountability component, mm-hmm. right? And getting clear with the vision and, and what it sounds like this nicely offers is a lot of clarity. And when you don't have clarity, it's really hard to attain the results that you say you want. Yeah. Because you don't know what you're doing is actually going to generate the results in the direction that you really actually should be spending your time in. So it's a very exhausting experience, I think. True. I don't and know about you. Yeah. <laughs> it's been mine. Sure. It's totally <laughs> Especially when you're trying to do it alone. Mm. And, and again, most guys don't have a community of brothers that are going to hold them accountable to their potential. Most guys have some buddies that are like enabling them with their shitty habits and, and like, you know, holding them back. Well, yeah. Or having the bias, right? That you pick a friend more or less for, for the things. And what we do we like to do is we like to bitch bond over things, right? We like to bond over the things that are going wrong or how, you know, like it's, it, yeah. it's a very different conversation to be wholly supported for the being that you are and mm-hmm. the creating that you want. It's not certainly for everybody, but when you get into that phase of wanting to know more about yourself, there are some nooks and crannies. So what are some of those, those little nooks and crannies that you've encountered that you could speak to as well? Mm, like you mean by nooks and crannies, like the, the hidden roadblocks? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, worthiness comes, jumps up first, first and foremost, being like, um, especially for men that are alone and don't have a community, there's a lot of like worthiness issues. Like, well, I want that relationship, but I don't know if I'm really worthy of it or I want to make a million dollars or I want to start that business. But, you know, um, 
I don't know if I'm worthy of it. And then the second thing I would say but around there is the fear of failure and rejection. And, and again, like um, the more and more that I do these men's groups and, and bring men together, I really realize that our fear of, be, of failure amongst men being seen as not having our shit together or not knowing what to do. That fear is so real. Like to ask someone like what you're scared of or to bring up, um, you know, something that's not going well in their lives is extremely hard because we are, we have this mask on that we have everything together that we have to uphold. And until we have a community of guys being like, man, you know, none of us have our shit together. You know, I too, I experienced that too. And it's like, Oh, we can take that weight off of our shoulders and then actually relate and then find solutions and give each other support on working through that. But if you don't have that, um, you know, someone that you trust there to be, to, to be able to open up with those issues, like you're going to keep them, you're going to keep them to yourself and then keep believing that you're the only one with that unique problem. Well, yeah, because it's not an everyday conversation. You don't grow up having these conversations. I know that growing up for me, talking about emotions and how I'm feeling about how I'm doing things and constructing, that wasn't language. Um, We calibrate our our emotional understanding by the people that are around during our, our childhood, right? And don't necessarily get into adulthood and go, well, I need to update my operating manual to make sure that it's, you know, correct to today's standards and understanding of who I am today, not when I was six or 12, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so um, I find that's a big one too, but coupling it with like that fear of failure, that's got to feel all encompassing. Like that, that's got to be a really good stopping point. So in your experience too, what are some of the, the socially acceptable ways of, of behaving when you don't, you're in this headspace before you get to that? Hmm. awareness state well i would definitely say um among men that there's this uh substance abuse i would say is is accepted like let's just go Mm -hmm. blow off some steam you know comes from a place of why do you have steam to blow off like why where's where what are you suppressing that you need to release you know Mm -hmm. there's this Let's avoid what's really happening and find a way to let it out that is unhealthy or that it doesn't bring it to the forefront. And then there's, you know, um, a lot of like adultery or womanizing that happens um, because we, again, we're like, we're trying to find that writ, that edge for ourselves, but it comes out in substance abuse, you know, misogyny, um, the excitement of being with multiple women or something, you know, having Mm -hmm. uh, um, a girlfriend on the side or something that, that shows up so much. Showing a little risky behavior, right. Trying to, Mm -hmm. to sort of get those feelings of, of, and what do you think it really is behind that? Like, how does that show up for them inside of their own skin? How long does that sort of sit there? Man, it sits there from, from for me since I was a teenager since this moment when all of a sudden my best friends became almost like it was an eye for an eye like enemies but we were still buddies 
it was this one this moment in like grade nine to ten where women like girls came into the picture and people were really like going into groups and if you did something outside of the group norm you were shamed and and punished almost by being made fun of or bullied so everybody at that moment learned like where the safety is where the masks work how to protect themselves from being shamed and guilted um and then and then that whole conversation moves internally so we're every time we're weird or we want to be weird or that weirdness comes up we we suppress it and we shame it and then it comes out you know in private ways where we we hope that nobody sees whether it's our through addiction or through porn or other other behaviors that don't serve us right right and it's kind of like it's not like these social contracts are actually discussed out loud. It's more like just by, I guess, agreements at the time too, is what I noticed. I mean, there was, there was some things that the lines in the sand, you don't obviously cross, but again, that ridiculing and controlling peer pressure is effective. Very effective. Yeah. Reinforcement of, of some bad behavior right there. Right. And that's the only thing that, you know, in your circle, because that's where you really want to be accepted. Right. And I think that you're right. It's in that time frame that we start to look about our social standing Mm -hmm. and want to create, I guess, an identity in and around that it's reflected back to us so much through our, our, I guess, the people that we surround ourselves with. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And carrying carrying all that into your twenties with more responsibility and more money and time at your hand, that could be unexamined, a really detrimental place of which I've seen. I know some friends and family that it is detrimental. Yeah, I mean, it for me, I know for me. Yeah, I almost I almost died multiple times from drinking and like being out of control. Not self, well, not like intentionally self induced. Um, injuries or anything, but just being drunk and searching for um, acceptance and acknowledgement and, you know, looking for attention. And mm. um, yeah, like I, it almost, I almost killed myself many times through that because I also didn't have any of that healthy mentorship or community that was like, Hey man, you have so much potential and you're so worthy of happiness and love. Like they weren't, they weren't able to express that. And in the male, in the male community, at least the one that I grew up in, the only emotions that were accepted to be expressed were either anger or lust and anger, anger shows up in sports. You know, your dad can get angry. You can yell, like you can fight, like that's acceptable. You can can get drunk and get wild and, and that's still acceptable because it's like you're expressing anger. There's this energy. It's shown and it's accepted through sports in every area that we look at. Right? Right. And right. then lust. Lust is constant among men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We well, I mean we, that's something that is widely I think. circles of men. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it, it mean, it's something that we is echoed out into society. I think that lust or, you know, that attractiveness and, and going and hunter gatherer kind of thing, like you come with me, let's do this, right? There is, mm-hmm. you know, as a female, that kind of illusion of power or that confidence that it that it takes to be there, that is, it, it is attractive, right? 
So it's reinforced by by the female attention. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. There's it goes all over. So if we're looking at our our purposes, we updated. I mean, I think in our teens, I think it's a learning about a um what we might look like and, and what are ideas that we want to care about. In our twenties, I think there's a holy crap. This is all really real. What am I really supposed to do with this? And I think your thirties is kind of okay. So this is the skin I live in. This is this is the bar that I'm going to set for myself, and and let's really look at what that takes. And I think that's such a great journey to to walk up into and and create different stages of your life that your purpose can evolve, your missions can evolve, right? And cr- and creating that community of acceptance to be able to reflect back what's actually, you know, that healthy, that healthy side. Yeah, I think I totally agree. I mean, I'm in my, I just turned 38 um, a week ago. and Happy birthday. <laughs> the last two years have really been that, like really accepting the skin that I'm in and the path that I'm on. And then, and then finding people in my community that can, that are raising the bar. You know, so that it's like, whoa, like I want people around me that see me and and that call me forward in my life. And I think that that also is like part of my purpose is to surround myself with leaders and people that are taking that risk to to make impact and to get themselves out there. Mm, to be seen as such. Yeah, that's it. That can be that dangerous spot to put yourself in. Uh, if there's anything that's still lurking in the background that uh, can come up in, in just common times, I suppose, right? There's any time those critical voices that we have and sort of talking in the little corners of our minds. <laughs> yeah. Being, being seen for your purpose. Wow. That's scary too. Yeah especially if you're not fully committed to it. <laughs> <laughs> Having a plan B comes in handy to be able to eject on that one. Um, so you mentioned that uh, the Edge 2.0 comes out late September. I think that's a, a great thing to step into if anybody's really, really looking at leveling up, trying to get comfortable in their own skin, find their purpose, really get clearer on their vision and values this sounds like a heck of an opportunity with a stellar group of individuals who want to champion the best that, uh, that you can be. And that's something to be said right there. Thank you. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's been so powerful to be a part of, and we've had guest speakers um, and we, we plan to continue to bring in uh, guest coaches and leaders to host topics as well as, I mean, the biggest part of this whole group is, I would say its focus is leadership, but the community part has probably made the most impact in the men's lives that have been a part of it is just having a solid brotherhood of men that they can talk to about whatever. Yeah. That's hugely important because I think that's a part of my mission too, is get everybody talking and talking is healthy when you have uh, the, the language, the understanding and the support, because some of these conversations go into areas that may need a little help and, and new knowledge or tools to be able to navigate. And something like this would be able to provide the context in, in which to look at yourself in a healthier way or, or be able to communicate in a, in a healthier way. 
True. Very true. And I, I don't know about yourself. You said it, you kind of touched on a little earlier, but uh, that, that weirdness or that sort of um, conversation, the agreements under the scenes, you know, the hidden agreements that we have that have like contained our expression as humans mm. really comes to the surface in groups or in intentional groups of safe spaces. And you can really feel this sort of vibrating desire to express and, and, there's nothing more powerful than that um, breakthrough with people when when guys or anybody has that moment where they're like, you know what, I'm, al- I'm allowed and I have permission and I'm worthy and I choose to express my weirdness. And that's, that's so impactful in these groups. I always feel it, especially in men's groups, is once we start talking, there's, you feel this sort of coldness. Everyone's eyeing each other up and and measuring each other up, sizing each other up. Sizing, going, okay, yeah, so yeah. One, <laughs> one guy will be like, usually I'll lead, but whoever shares, once they share and go somewhere, everyone's like, "Ooh, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go!" Like it's, it's wild. <laughs> it's fire. contagious. Yeah, because we've all been waiting for that, you know. Well, I think that that just is a part of society in which we have an expectation for men to behave under certain um, conditions and constraints publicly and privately. And it's it is context driven as well. Right. Where with the boys, you know, if you get to go to the man cave or go with the boys, it's kind of like anything goes. Don't ask me what I'm doing out there because I'm expressing myself in acceptable ways with them. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's the acceptable ways with your family and, and, you know, professionally. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, I just quickly, before we kind of wrap up is professionally, I, I love this notion of, of where everything's going right now with COVID-19 and, and, you know, as you've probably experienced a lot more uh, zoom and it's being a little bit more casual and mm-hmm. this air of professionality that we have going forward is actually just, I think, more real talk. It's getting to be more comfortable in the skin that we live in, the life, the lifestyle that we actually have, getting real. Like I know that I had uh, my dog throw up in uh, one of my Zoom coaching sessions. <laughs> that was like, that was as real as it gets right there <laughs> for me. But, you know, like as we talk about what is acceptable professionally, I really want to invite, I guess, more um, conversation around feeling and how it drives the the professional look, the, the state of when a man shows up professionally. What does that really look like as an update versus the the cold, the stoic, the all-knowing, omnipotent, um, you know, like I'm going to tell you how to do it. And, and that just isn't the case in what professionalism now. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah. I think my experience, especially in the, in business in the last four to six months, however long it's been now. um, Yeah. I'm definitely seeing more creativity come forward because it's, it's the new normal, you know, we all of a sudden it's like, well, things have changed and you have to adapt. And I think that adaptability really brings out um, the really reflects or sorry, we really see like the rigidity when we have to be adaptable and those that are able to be like, well, the business suit and the stoic like power moves don't really work here, you know? So again, it's kind of bringing us back to like, can I relate to you on a real level and again, embody, embody my leadership or am I going to try to impose 
leadership through fear or power over or, um, you know, in the multitude of ways that we manipulate. So I think that it's driving us to more embodied and real leadership. And even just showing our spaces is another um, sort of exposure that we need, especially as leaders. Like we said it again, yeah. it goes back to that healthy and unhealthy masculine leadership where like, I want you to experience me like this, the same as if we met at a cafe or with my family, or if you came over for dinner, like I want you to see me um, maybe with different hats on doing different things, but I'm not going to change. Like, you know, you're going to remember me. Whereas in the past, again, we let so many men get off the hook by showing up as a leader powerfully at work and then being, you know, either detached or, um, unemotional or unavailable or abusive at home. And that's mm-hmm. not okay. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of antiquated thoughts, feelings that I know that I've had from, from leaders in the past myself that have been directly impacted by, but I've also had some really great leaders and this, this new leadership style and, and invoking a lot more conversation, a lot more depth and a lot more sensitivity to their environment and being able to be present. And I think that is such a huge component is the presence is changing and the conversation's changing. The allowances are also changing as well for what it is acceptable to experience for other people in a professional setting. So I think that's a wonderful segue to be able to excise that and, and blossom this throughout all leadership and invite many different ways and and the language change it the expectations like let's start smashing some of these uh expectations because it's it's got to be tough to be able to only uh work in two realms which are very very polarized realms right (laughs) and then mask it with self-harming behavior is is such a uh uh you know it really did. It's a telling way. So I love having this conversation with you. Thank you for sharing your time with me and talking about your passion, your purpose, your missions, and, and all of the, the wonderful things. And, and uh, let's keep the conversation going. This yeah. Please. Thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. And uh, appreciate you diving into the questions and, and holding the space for these conversations because they're so important. Mm, I think they're wonderful. And if you want to get a hold of Simon, uh, his website is the veryfoundation.org. His email is Simon at theverityfoundation.org. And I'll have all those great links for you for uh, the Edge 2.0 and the Timeless Talks and anything else that was juicy that we talked about. Well, thank you again, Simon, for coming on my show and have yourself a really great day. Thank you. You as well. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to another episode on From Here to There with your host, Jesse Galvin Reed. For more information on today's guest, check out the description below. If you have a story about making a change in your life and want to tell it, head over to my website today and apply at h2hcoaching.co. Thanks again, and see you here next time.